everyone. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Behold Podcast. I'm Hitzer. I'm Aisa. Uh, continuing on from our best of series, uh, last episode we talked about our favorite uh, TV series or just series in general, you know, that is appearing on screens of all sizes. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we discussed, it's hard to differentiate between uh, television <laughs> and, and film these days, but whatever, it's a series. Uh, but this one is a bit easier to differentiate. We are talking about the best films of 2020. Now, yeah. keep in mind, um, these three films that we'll be talking about are some of our favorite films of 2020. Yep. But there are a couple of caveats. Uh, mm. num- number one is that these films aren't necessarily the top three best films of 2020. Yeah. The reason for that is we had discussed some of our some of the best 2020 movies already. You know, we had talked about Waves, we've talked about Little Women. Mm-hmm. Um, my actual number one spoiler alert is is Nomad <laughs> is, is Nomadland, uh, yep. which I watched at SGIFF. Uh, the thing is. Nomadland is only available at festivals right now, so I there was no way for me to 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 let Isa Fong watch this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I guess we could cover it um as and when it be, the release becomes wider. Mm. Yeah, but so, I, yeah, yeah. Uh, probably next year, la. Yeah, probably next year. Um, we 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 owe you guys one, and yeah, we'll definitely cover that. Yeah. So, are you done with all of your uh, top list of the year for uh, writing wise? Um, I have done my top 50 uh, TV shows. The draft is pretty much complete. I formatted it, everything. So I, I've nailed down the, the rankings of the top 50 TV okay, shows. Okay, okay. For yeah. films, I'm going to hold off a bit uh, until um, until Soul comes out. Right. So that's what you're waiting for, really? for just uh, as, as in just Soul is the only one you're holding out? Um, so to me, has the potential to s- get into the top twenty or top ten, like, To be honest, because yep. you know, it's Pixar, it looks really good. Yeah. So you know, I don't want to like format everything and then have to like reschedule and then renumber and then like you know adjust the thing. So I'm just gonna wait to rank uh, to to the twenty fifth uh, until I watch Soul to rank it. Yeah, sure. Sounds good. I always look forward to the list. So mm. you know, just as a basis of a comparison and just for other things to watch in the kind of like downtime that we get right going into the new year. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, there's going to be a lot of free time. So if you have time to watch 50 TV shows or, or you know, just watch the top <laughs> 10, which are all pretty much must-watch, uh, you can, t- you can you know, check out my work at Popwire, which I will be sharing on the Genre Equality uh, podcast Facebook uh, page. So you can mm-hmm. just check for the links there. In the meantime, um, briefly, uh, I've also listed, you know, my top 10 favorite uh, films and TV shows from Asia yep. uh, on, on NME. Uh, that's a bit, you know, a, m- a more limited scope. Uh, yeah. But but the films and TV shows you know from Asia are, are nothing to sneeze at. There's a lot of good stuff out there. Uh, You've got some well. pretty interesting choices with there. I didn't expect Regret to go to be on there. Yeah, uh, I guess I'm mean, spoiler alert. It's number <laughs> one. Uh, it's, it's it's been my my favorite of uh, the enemies uh, over the over the past few years. You know. Yeah. Uh, and and Kingdom has been really fun. You know, South Korean zombie certainly a better, uh, more entertaining show than Train to Busan. I agree. I agree for sure. Yeah. The, the whole period thing it lends a very kind of different vibe to it. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There is a bit of zombie saturation going on. Um, the following episode, I'll be I'll be talking about the Walking Dead's uh, latest spin-off. I think it's the third spin-off. It's mm-hmm. it's terrible. That they're, they're beating a dead horse over the there. the comedy one. Uh no 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 not the comedy one. It's the um the new world. You know the one about oh. um uh, uh, the the teens. Yeah. It's a, it's a teen drama in the Walking Dead uh universe. Not uh. great. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm I'm not surprised. They're beating the undead horse. They just need to shoot it in the head. Uh. Yeah. Anyways. Uh. For behold. Uh. There's actually no no genre we'll be talking about here. More like quiet character studies. Mm. Uh. Two nonfiction actually. Um. 
Firstly, we'll be talking about Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always, uh, which is Eliza Hitman's uh, very quiet, contemplative, uh, emotionally precise character study about yeah. uh, a, a teen girl who, who crosses state lines to get an abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, we'll be talking about a concert film, yeah. uh, an unusual one. It is David, David Byrne's uh, American Utopia. David Byrne, of course, you know, from <laughs> Talking Hits, famously. Yeah. Uh, and this particular concert film is shot by Spike Lee. Uh, mm-hmm. So this is the second big movie this year besides The Five Bloods. Uh, we'll be talking about that because it's such a joyous, uh, whimsical uh, concert film that really makes me uh, miss being in the crowd, you know, being able to dance in the front row, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, finally, we'll be talking about an unusual documentary called Dick Johnson is Dead that follows a documentarian mm-hmm. uh, whose father is ailing, dying from Alzheimer's. Uh, basically, what she does is in this documentary, she and her father team up to stage uh, inventive death scenes for her father. <laughs> Um, it's very yeah. macabre. It's very uh, blackly comic. Very mm-hmm. bittersweet, you know. But it, it it's really you know about two people trying to trying to deal with mortality, yeah. uh, through filmmaking, through through uh, macabre humor, you know, gallows humor, yeah. uh, which which I found really interesting and 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 weird like, what, what the most unusual documentary I've seen this year. Yeah. Um. Anyways, we'll begin with uh, Eliza Hitman's uh, Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Um. As I mentioned, it's an abortion movie and. And you know, like how issue movies are often fraught with, you know, editorializing and speechifying. Yeah. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You know, check out like a lot of Aaron Sorkin's work to see, um, <laughs> to, to see some of it. But but yeah. never really. Sometimes always is one of those uh, movies where, they, despite its hot button subject, right, um, it kind of transcends polemics and melodrama to offer, you know, a more emotionally precise, a more tender character study. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. Uh, it is. You know, it's honest. It has ample empathy. It doesn't. Uh, emotionally manipulate. Uh, the film trusts us to interpret the complicated predicaments of its characters, and its uh, naturalistic dialogue light uh, restraint is is mm-hmm. quite uh, affecting. Uh, it follows a seventeen year old girl named Autumn, uh, played by uh, debutant uh, Sydney Flanagan, who is faced with an unintended pregnancy in a small Pennsylvania town. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is presented from seeking an abortion by her community's pro-life women's clinics and the state's uh, parental consent laws. Essentially, she's 17, she's too young to, to consent to an abortion. Yeah. Uh, and her homemade attempts to induce a miscarriage are, are quite frightening, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, her, her, her cousin Skylar, uh, played by Talia Ryder, who looks like a young Grimes, um, <laughs> You know, with with yeah. whom that she she works at a grocery store. Uh, she quickly figures out uh, Autumn's secret. You know, so she slips some bills from the cash register into her pocket. They wordlessly agree uh, to go to New York for an abortion. So they hop on mm-hmm. a Greyhound the next morning, and and this is basically um, a road trip movie. Uh, it, it essentially, you know. Yeah. Um. This is your first time watching Ever Ready. Sometimes always it it did come to Singaporean cinemas via the projector or the projector plus if you want to watch it online. Yeah. Uh, Earlier this year, but I think you only caught it recently. So, uh, what do you think about Never Ready? Sometimes, always. Oh man, it is such a quiet but powerful film. Mm. Um, and it's kind of like a, a very important snippet, right? In 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 a teenager's life, right? Given the circumstances that she's going through. Yep. Um, yep. the performances by Sydney Flanagan and Talia Ryder are amazing, mm. right? They're just these moments of like just silence and an exchange of looks. Yeah. Um, uh, and more often than not, and. In in addition to that, like you said, it's very dialogue, uh, light, mm-hmm. um, and Julia Halter's score really does kind of fill the space, right? Uh, with yeah. the, the emotional resonance, so it, it adds to this very like 
glimpses and glances and, and kind of like facial expressions that, you know, are meant to communicate very kind of deep, distressing emotions. Um, mm-hmm. And and it, um, it was very easy to be very taken by that, right? Uh, and, and just like the way the two of them worked out. Talia Ryder in particular, there were moments in time where she reminded me of a very young Winona Ryder. Mm, yes. Uh, yeah. You know, just in, just in the way she kind of presented herself and also because her character is very um, uh, go-interrupted, mm, mm. you know, um, in, in that sense, you know, and I really, really kind of enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to seeing more from these two. Mm-hmm. Um, Sharon Van Etten as the mother was a little strange for me. Uh, yeah, yeah, weird, weird casting. Weird casting. Uh, big fan of Sharon Van Etten, of course. But um, yeah, it, it kind of felt out of place, didn't kind of feel too apt yeah um, yeah but she's only in a couple of scenes in the first act yeah so. that's true yeah. and and uh ryan eggle as as ted who who's also on oh my god he's uh, yeah he's he, one of those faces that like, i recognize him from a lot right. of things oh, okay yeah. i know he's he's tom keen uh in blacklist right mm. yeah who whose character i hated and his character here i hate even more mm-hmm. So, you know, it was just one of kind of those things. Uh, the supporting cast is, is sufficient, right? But it really, really is about Talia Ryder and, and uh, Sydney Flanagan. Yep. And just like the very close bond that they share. You know, it's more than just a friendship, right? They are family after all, but mm. um, it is it's trauma bonding, you know, pretty much. Yeah. And then the kind of like, it's, it's far from being an adventure for them, right? Um, it's wandering to many unknowns at the same time, both of them. You know, mm-hmm. leaving Pennsylvania for New York, not knowing really knowing what's there, and all the kind of predicaments and and, and things they have to face there. Um, it's it's a very difficult movie to explain why it's so powerful unless you watch it, mm. right? Yeah. Because there's a lot of things that aren't portrayed in words and therefore are also difficult to explain in words. Mm-hmm. Uh, but overall, yeah, very beautiful and painful and very sad. Uh, movie. Uh, overall, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, but I, I, it is still enjoyable in it in its own kind of way, right? And I think the message that it sends is very powerful. I was reading about um uh, how they tried very hard to keep it PG thirteen, just so that the film could be shown to teens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's this is essentially uh targeted towards them. I mean, it's a it's an educational message. Mm, yeah, and I mean, like it, it is extremely important, kind of right. Like above and beyond, you know, out the John Green stuff that gets made into yeah. movies and gets sold to them. Like all of that, sure, you know, all kind of like feel good. There's some serious subject matter, but like this this from the get go, kind of like sets the tone, right? Um, for for what the message is about. Like, they don't they don't cut any corners about it. They don't take it lightly, you know. Um, and even as these two teens kind of grapple with, with the situation that they're in, um, you know, at no point in time does the camera take away uh, from the performance, which I, I think is very, very important. And I'll, I'll be curious to kind of see how, how, you know, teens respond to it. Definitely, yeah. I mean, uh, certainly um, adult critics have responded to it very, very well. This is uh, quite a highly rated film. And as you mentioned, this is quite a um, hinges upon the, the two lead performances, uh, which yeah. are essentially ca- are in every scene. Um, Talia Ryder and, and Sydney are in every scene. You know, the, They have this almost telepathic bond, uh, mm-hmm. you know, between yeah. you know, the, the morose and introverted autumn uh, and uh, the slightly more outgoing Skylar. You know, so that's the kind of the heart and the hope of, of the journey. Um, we are presented 
you know with their lives which are not you know ideal even before the abortion yeah um the the way that um eliza hitman portrays the challenges before and during the tri- trip is terrifying yeah. um because they are so mundane you know it's so mm-hmm. normal um you can see these things happening you know from like a, a, a sexually aggressive supermarket manager um uh, to just a, a pretty innocent flirtatious college kid on the bus you know yeah. um to to autumn's uh, more more threatening casually misogynistic father um we we're kind of made to feel the pervasive anxiety caused by i guess unwanted male attention at every turn mm-hmm. um the fact that none of these moments feel uh, dramatized is is what makes it um realistically um scary lah yeah. um and of course what they assumed would be a simple one day procedure uh proves to be considerably more complicated it, it forces them to stay in new york for a couple of nights you know yeah. so they have no money they're unable to afford a room we follow them as they sleeplessly wander around an unfamiliar city a famously indifferent city you know yeah. uh, uncaring um they lug around this giant huge you know suitcase which um is beautifully it's like this beautiful symbol of the burden they're both carrying mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. um up and down subway ramps and through the streets of Manhattan um this is kind of like the the odyssey of um of two lost children trying to navigate poorly charted territory um emotionally logistically and medically uh, which yeah. is sad you know um the title you may be um, curious about what it's uh, referring to you know oh, it's it's yeah. It's a reference to a counselor's clinical questions at Planned Parenthood pertaining to a patient's uh, sexual history. Mm-hmm. Um, the title ex- is explained in, in a truly amazing sequence, a devastating oh, sequence, yeah. when she, you know, she's asked to answer questions like, uh, your partner has refused to wear a condom, never ready, sometimes, always. Your partner has uh, made you have sex when you didn't want to, never ready, sometimes, always. You know? um, so you, you won't forget the look on, on Autumn's face as her stoicism. Uh, slowly cracks with each answer. Yeah. Um. The audience is actually purposefully unaware of Autumn's backstory, you know, but her responses, uh, more than hints at at why she holds everyone at arm's length, you know, yeah. and why her 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 mental survival is contingent upon compartmental compartmentalizing, you know, her trauma. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the first time actress, you know, Flanagan has such a disarming way of parceling out fragments of her inner life, you know, yeah. uh, only to quickly raise the defenses again as soon as she realizes she's doing it. You know, she's phenomenal. That that scene I was talking about, um, film in a single take, you know, where she yeah. has to literally break down in increments and and mm-hmm. cry on cue. Um, there's no, you know, you can't cut during that. If if you fuck up, you're gonna need to redo the take and everything. Is it's one of the least showy uh one take sequences you know it's not like 1917 yeah. or something like that but yeah. still incredibly difficult to do from uh, an actor standpoint yeah absolutely absolutely i mean like watching that scene and how uncomfortable it was and just how heartbreaking it was to kind of see her go through that just purely on her face alone right because it was very unforgiving like camera angle yeah um yeah. you know and then to think that it's her first time mm. right as an actress it, it really is quite Oh wow! It's very moving, um, in 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 many many ways, and I'm 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 just very surprised at the kind of talent that this girl has. Yeah. Uh, the, I mean, um, ne- neither one of these two young actresses have anything under their belt, right? Uh, experience wise or film wise, you know, and for them to have to grapple with such a heavy emotion, uh, uh, emotionally heavy topic. Right, mm-hmm. and have to portray that for their first kind of outing is is quite crazy. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, similarly, you know, Talia Ryder of uh, Costa, like, she imports, you know, volumes of um, sympathy and frustration and distress simply with, with body language, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there is an unadorned style to Hitman's uh, filmmaking, you know, that yeah. favors um, um, intense close-ups and, and she kind of plunges viewers into the subjectivity of a protagonist with, you know, who who has this jumble of feelings? You know, they have dread and confusion, determination and resignation, mm-hmm. and it all plays out with you know uh, subtle glances. There's a squeeze of a hand or a minute spent applying you know like each other's makeup in a in in a bathroom. They are able to like speechlessly convey you know not just reactive emotions but complex decisions, explanations, and assurances. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think better than pages of dialogue could could yeah. achieve. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, man. Just so uh, I can buy that. Mm. Yeah. Uh, any closing thoughts about Never Ready, Sometimes Always? Uh, again, you know, highly recommended on our side. We wouldn't be talking about it, you know, as one of the... Uh, it, it, it is one of the most different films that I've seen this year, I think, mm. uh, as far as, you know, like the the serious issue movies that we've talked about, right? Yep. Um, yep. This one is quietly powerful and, and that's saying a lot. Um, yeah. Just in terms of the way that it's portrayed and, and, and what it's talking about because it feels very real and very in the moment. Um, you know, there's nothing showy about it and it's powerful because of that. Um, so highly encourage uh, anybody who's who's kind of interested in, in something different when it talks, uh, when, we, when it comes to the topic of like abortion and teenage pregnancy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, for, for my end, you know, I, I love that it isn't, interested in delivering some sort of ham-fisted message about, you know, the trials of teen pregnancy or or the government threats to overturn right to choose legislation. You know, it's not like like that, you know. Yeah. It's just a very like real story about, you know, these these two uh young women and their, you know, excruciatingly accurate ordeal. Um mm-hmm. it doesn't moralize, it doesn't exaggerate. Um I think it simply shows the the insane number of hoops. Um, they have to jump through in order to have autonomy. Yeah. Uh, there are no unnecessary details uh, given. You know, even the father is never mentioned. You know. Yeah. Um, and 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 it honors the gravity of of Autumn's experience without sensationalizing it, which I think some a lot of movies will have a uh, will have a, uh, a temptation to do. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So so it will help have you feeling and weeping for for all the autumns of the world and you know, and in all of your endurance without really sensationalizing it. So yeah, yeah I mean, I love this film. One of my favorite favorites of the year. Mm, definitely. Um. Please please go check it out. Yeah. Um. How how can people find it? Um. It's available um everywhere on VOD. Uh. Any platform you want. But I would encourage you to go support the projector if you are living in Singapore, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh. The projector is a local boutique cinema. Um. Obviously, all cinemas are suffering from COVID nineteen. You know. Uh. But uh. You know. The the, the smaller cinemas are having a harder are having a harder time on it lah. Yeah. Uh, and and it's available to watch you know at the projector itself or you can you know um rent it on Projector Plus, which is their online. Uh, streaming platform. Uh, you can buy it for, um, I think ten bucks or something, and you can keep it for two days. Watch it over two days. You know. Uh, so yeah. Uh, that's where you can watch it. Uh, next up, uh, yep. we have uh David Burns uh, American Utopia. Uh, <laughs> if you don't know, um, David Burns, of course, from Talking Hits, famously yeah. you know, the, the former frontman of of that famous band. Um, he had a, a Broadway show, uh, called American Utopia, very acclaimed uh, actually. Uh, and they recently, not well, not recently. They filmed it, uh, I think, a year or two ago. Uh, Spike Lee did. Yeah. 
Uh, and he brings this kind of uh, one-of-a-kind Broadway show into a one-of-a-kind uh, concert film. Um, it was recorded during its run at Broadway's uh, Hudson Theatre in, in, mm-hmm. in New York City, of course. Yeah. Uh, David Byrne is, is joined by an ensemble of, of 11 musicians, singers, and dancers from all around the world. Uh, and it kind of invites audiences into um, a, a song-filled journey. It really is a concert. It's song to song to song. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it presents it in... in in, in a utopian dream world where where human connection and self-evolution and, and social justice are paramount. Yeah. Uh, very, very uh, full of uh, love and hope and brightness. Uh, really uh, enjoyed David Byrne's American Utopia. One of my favorite concert films uh, ever, actually. Uh, yeah. Brilliantly done, you know. What, what do you think about American Utopia? Uh, I love David Bryan. Love what he's done. Especially post-talking his, he's done some fairly interesting things. I think his collaboration with St. Vincent was one of my favorite from the last mm. couple of years. Solo work is amazing. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Uh, I, I really enjoyed American Utopia. There's just something incredibly celebratory about it, right? And very yeah. triumphant about it, you know, uh, even though it, it presents, obviously, a very kind of like idealized world. And uh, I mean, it's in the title, right? Um, yeah. You know, but even then, it, it doesn't... Um, it doesn't shy away from what it is, right? Like he leans into the entire idea that yes, you know, this is a utopia. This is what it should be like. This is what it could be like, right? And the music uh, from the way that it's presented, from the way that, that um, you know, it sounds and just the tone and the vibe of the entire concert itself, right? It is one huge kind of celebration, right? And it goes from, you know, just these like kind of quiet moments with soft riffs and all of that into a cacophony of sounds. And it's quite a journey overall. Mm-hmm. I think the setting within the theater itself, of course, it, it's a Broadway show that was filmed. It, it just felt interesting and very apt, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, as as kind of uh, we've we've explored a number of films, you know, um, set within, or rather, you know, um, movies that are, are um, movies that are filmed on stage, right? Um, yeah. This year, you know, and it was quite kind of interesting to revisit that. We we did kind of Pina, and then we did you know Hamilton. And all yeah, uh, the, the West Wing also. And the West Wing as well. I mean, yeah. and but to see like a, a, a true like Blue Blood concert film mm-hmm. um, and done by Spike Lee, no less, right? Uh, was really quite a treat, I feel. Like the the space itself was used in a very interesting way. I really wish I could have caught it in person. Yeah, uh, same. Yeah. Because it, I mean, like there is an energy that, 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 that comes through the screen that you can feel very palpably and I can only imagine what it's like sitting in one of those seats. Mm, not uh, that anybody was sitting, mind you. Everybody was standing throughout everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah you know, <laughs> it's, it's yeah. David Byrne. Like, it's, it's kind of hard to sit yeah. you know, while his music is playing. Um, it, it, it is so strange um, at the same time, right? Like just kind of like the subject matter in it, that they are uh, singing about and kind of at moments to kind of talking about and and, and explaining um, yeah. you know there are moments in time when he goes into these monologues that, that feel almost like a TED talk yeah. um, you know but they never feel out of place despite the fact that this spectacle of American Utopia is odd in the timeline that we're living in right um, yeah so overall, like, uh, I mean, the costumes are sharp, the movement is sharp, mm. you know, just like the choices in terms of how they stage everything and plot everything, uh, you know, the energy is insane and through the roof and always, always uh, just a bit more than you expect it to be. Mm. Um, and it's it's a riot. It really is. Uh, and it is a riot that's kind of like celebrating what 
the best of humanity could possibly be. Yeah. You know, and uh, it's something that I, I think we we well, I've sorely needed to see this year. Uh, yeah, and I think others might as well. Yeah, I mean, especially in a year kind of defined by you know a lot of tragedy, a lot of isolation, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of division, a lot of cynicism. You know, uh, American Utopia is precisely the kind of concert film that we need. Not just because we can't go to concerts, but because you know of of the the, the concerts and songs themes. You know, American yeah. Utopia. It doesn't have a plot. I have to emphasize that again. Yeah. It's, it's an hour, 45 minutes of burn and talking hit songs, uh, plus something that's not quite stage banter and not quite a monologue. You know, it's, yeah. it, it, it expresses the essence of, you know, I guess this moment in the world, you know, the fraying and disillusion of community and understanding. Um, and it, it begins, you know, with him holding a, a giant plastic brain, right, after the song Care, <laughs> yeah. uh, and explaining how scientists have discovered that infant minds are brimming with connective pathways, which disappears, they get older. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the show is an uh, effort to, to beat a drum and, and get back those pathways, you know. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's such a crafty production, exciting. I love the costuming. Love this. I mean, the dancing seems simple, the choreography seems simple, but not really, you know. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it's very complex. You know, even the you know the keyboard players and and percussionists are not sitting down. You know, they yeah. are they're yeah. wearing harnesses and they're you know they're they're traveling all around the stage and dancing with their instruments. Um, uh, you know the the stage has beaded cur- curtains on three sides with lights. You know, and of course the camera um emerging from behind them. It's such a great setup. You know, and and yeah. Burn is is clearly the star of the show. But I have to give credit to everyone else on stage with him. I think everyone has a different kind of charisma and 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 fierceness mm. you know i really i really like the guy who plays the uh, the, the, go, the woman who plays the congos you know oh yeah it's a, such a radiance and all of them are great actually yeah i mean if i can just take a moment to kind of geek out from like the technical point of view uh it just mm. it, it it's quite a technical feat because every single instrument that's on stage is a wireless instrument right and in order to have everybody moving at the same time and all of that like it takes a fair bit of coordination like individual yeah. individual skill is required as a musician to be choreographed and like playing the keyboard in particular i'm just like wow how how do you like how mm. you know and and it's it's one of those things um that you um as as someone who has performed on stage and knows how difficult it'd be to move while you're trying to play music yeah um it, it's it's something to marvel at right both on a technical level and, and just like on a skill level so like yeah. it just is is icing on top of the cake on top of everything else for me Man, singing and dancing is already very difficult. Yeah. Uh, you you add in instruments to that. Oh my gosh. Uh, the multitasking. Um, yeah. And, and yet, despite all this, you know, they never miss a beat. Mm. They they don't fuck up. They no botches. Yeah. Uh, it's such an uh, explosion of unconventional energy and unconventional choreo- choreography. Um, Ben, you know, uh, literally, you know, he 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 kind of, you know, he he does. It feels like he he's sprinting here, like, and as does everyone. I can see the sweat, you know, and yeah. and all the effort being put in. It's so great, and I love the musical choices too. I mean, obviously, I popped a lot for the classic talking hit songs, mm-hmm, you, know, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, uh, burning down the house, you know, once in a lifetime, uh, that kind of stuff. There's also some deep cuts, you know, one of his collabs with Brian Eno, yeah, uh, and of course some of his the the titular album, La American Utopia. Um, yeah, like, well, what were your favorite songs from it? Oh, my favorite song was the Janelle Monae cover from Electric Lady. Mm. I did not expect it to be like that. So it kind of caught me by surprise when the riff came in. I'm just like, oh, really? Is that mm. where we are going? Um, yeah, but I mean, like the classics for sure. Uh, I'm actually not altogether familiar with the, the titular album, the, the title album itself. 
Mm. Uh, but I'm definitely I I the moment I was done with the film I I put it on on my Spotify to listen list so I'm gonna be going from that. Um, of course, love this giant, which is his collaboration with uh, with Saint Vincent. I should watch TV was one of my favorites as well. Yeah, um, you know, just when the horns come in, right? I'm just like, wow, I love that. It's so good. Um, yeah. yeah, and probably Toe Jam. I think I'm not really sure where it's from. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to need to kind of look that up, but that is like yeah. in the middle. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have to give credit, of course, to the director, uh, Spike Lee. You know, mm-hmm. I think I think his camera work he 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 constantly finds new and exciting angles on yeah. the action. You know, yeah. Uh, the cinematography, uh, by Alan Kuras is is really great. You know, sometimes they go overhead, sometimes mm. they go underneath, sometimes they go behind, uh, half an inch from their faces. You know, and and yet we never get a glimpse of the camera, even though there are eleven operators involved. You know, yeah. Um, the set is spare, but it's stylish. Mm. Uh, you know, the, the 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 shimmering metallic curtains are great. You know the sil- silver gray suits are great. You know, um, it's yeah, it's it's such a great Broadway show, and it's brought to the screen with such remarkable, uh, quirky energy. Yeah. Uh, by by Spike Lee, uh, <laughs> a few a few, I think. Um, you, I I don't think like Hamilton. I I I loved Hamilton, mind you. you know, yeah. But I don't I don't think the filmed version of Hamilton truly captures the real Hamilton experience. No, I I don't think so. I don't think but so. I, I think the film version of American Utopia, pr- probably not, but I think it comes closer. Yeah, I think there's something a lot more synergistic with the way Spike Lee and Ellen um, Kuras decided to film it. Mm-hmm. Um, like their their choices feel more synergistic with the music and with the performance than what we got in Hamilton. Yes, yeah, I agree. You know, um, clearly th- this film was not supposed to come out. Uh, during a pandemic, like they never, you know, who who plans for a pandemic, right? But it yeah. turns out, you know, to be the the perfect um pandemic thing to watch at home on on HBO, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, like best for me this year, like one of the best music things in general for the year, hands down. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether it's audiovisual or whether it's just audio, you know, this 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 is great. So, um, I I I was standing for. I mean. Around the midpoint of the concert, it's just, it becomes so energetic that yeah. I, I, you, you just can't sit down, you know? It's, yeah, such, yeah. It, it's such a bop, like, everything's a bop. Yeah, I was moving around my room as well. <laughs> I was watching it um, privately, of course. But yeah, it, it, yeah. Was, it was fun. Uh, it, it was infectious, you know? Like, you really, really can't not participate, even as you watch this on a screen, right? which I think is testament to just how good it mm-hmm. is. And in addition to that, it is also a testament to to kind of like like conceptually and thematically what what Byrne is trying to push here, right? Like it's not yes. so much like joy and sadness, but you know the whole idea of of connection, right? And to be yeah. able to do that through a screen, damn, mm. that's that's really quite something. I mean, Byrne is sixty eight years old, you know. Um, uh, he doesn't yeah. he doesn't feel sixty <laughs> at all, you know. He 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 performs with a, an and you know an energy and um and. Uh, exuberance that I remember him from the 60s and mm-hmm. I mean of course I wasn't alive in the 60s and 70s but I've seen videos of him back yeah. then yeah. it looks like he hasn't missed a step th- at all no no there, there are moments in time when they do really really close-ups of his face and yeah. you can see the age on his face of but course, when yeah, they yeah, zoom yeah. out and he's moving and he's just jiving and stuff like that like you you wouldn't imagine the man's almost 70 yeah yeah it's it's crazy you know he's he's almost 70 he's gonna be there in a couple of years yeah. um yeah I mean Whenever you know we are able to travel again or whatever, you know, like 
American Utopia, Hades Town, and Hamilton are like the three oh, big things I've, I've really wanted, I've been wanting to watch, and yeah, and I hope I get to uh, whenever you know the COVID vaccine comes. Yeah, for sure. Like Hades Town is is number one on my list for sure. Yeah, uh, and if you want to watch uh, Spike Lee's American Utopia, you can. Mm. Yep. It is available on, if you're in America, HBO Max. HBO Max is everything this, these days. Uh, it's also available on regular HBO. Mm-hmm. HBO Go, HBO Now, things like that. Um, yeah, uh, it's it's fantastic. It's highly recommended. Yep. Um, as, as a brief side note, like, have you watched concert films uh, that are this good before? And if so, what are they? Concert films that are this good? No, I don't think I have. Um, I don't know if... Hmm, where do we draw the line, though? Where, where something is a concert film as opposed to, like, a live performance that's filmed. Mm, I suppose, like, something like, you know, Dave Chappelle's Block Party from, you know, 2000. Yeah. Okay. It's a, it's okay. a concert film, yeah. Yeah, yeah. For sure, wow. If we were going to bring in Block Party, I mean, Block Party ranks up there, but definitely American Utopia, for sure. Yeah. I don't... I Nothing immediately kind of comes to mind uh there have been a couple of like really fascinating nine inch nails live performances that were streamed mm-hmm. that i think come pretty close in terms of like the art direction and then the the videography in general i i, I hesitate to call it cinematography necessarily because uh, mm-hmm. i don't really think that's it but no nothing comes close to american utopia how about for you like is do you anything that this kind of reminds you of or you're using it in comparison to uh, in terms of concert films, I think Dave uh, Chappelle's Block Party probably one of the best ever. Yeah. Um, there is uh, hmm. Let's see. I think there's a film last year, right, called Amazing Grace. Right. Um, yeah. Yes, I actually watched that. Wait, let's just pull that up real quick. It's 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 you know the the Aretha Franklin lost uh lost concert you know she performed yeah. in uh yeah uh, you know a, a gospel performance uh, back in nineteen seventy two. Yeah. They never they the the footage got lost somehow and then it was finally recovered like decades later. Uh, such uh, a raw, powerful, mm. in the moment uh thing capturing an uh, an artist that was not a legend yet, but in her prime at that time, you know, yeah. delivering like one of her most you know soulful performances I, that that is the thing that i think comes closest uh, to american Utopia yeah for sure for sure it's the it's the sydney paul like one from two years ago i watched yes. that as projector actually yeah projector yeah yeah amazing amazing i mean aretha is <laughs> you know her whole, she is her own like whole thing so yeah um powerhouse stuff yeah definitely definitely ranks up there a block party definitely ranks up there i mean yeah yeah fun. It's a um, it's a weird genre that isn't really you know that popular, but you know once in a while there is there is some gems here. I I I'm curious as to the way things are going now. Sure, you know we've got vaccines on the horizon and things like that, but um I I think generally given how consumer uh, media consumers have have changed their consumption patterns, right? Whether or not we'll see more of these, uh, mm-hmm. honestly, with so many musicians kind of like taking to streaming and taking to to more like recorded shows and stuff like that whether yeah. or not concert films will be um, not a mainstay, but will be more frequent. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, I, I, for one, you know, wouldn't mind if we are still stuck indoors a year or two from now. <laughs> more concert films would be great. You know, yeah. I've, I've run out of tiny desks to watch. You know, so yeah. Why, yeah. why not, right? Kind of exhausted uh, in color studios. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, anyways, uh, next up, we're moving to more nonfiction, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. This one is on Netflix. It is a documentary film from a filmmaker called uh, Christine Johnson. 
Um, she has, you know, she's been a documentarian all her life. She spent her life, you know, making documentaries, and it has convinced her uh, that documentaries, you know, offer this this power of insight, you know, into sh- shaping how you think about the real or shaping reality itself. Yep. You know, and and she, now she's going to use every escapist movie making trick in the book you know, <laughs> by by staging inventive and fantastical ways for her eighty six year old psychiatrist father to die. Yeah. Uh, um, he is suffering from Alzheimer's, uh, dementia. He's he he he's on his last legs. Uh, pr- probably you know these these are his fi- her fi- his final days. Yeah. Wh- but while he's still lucid, while he still has a sense of humor, he he and you know his daughter are participating in this unusual project where they are staging various ways for him to die, um, hoping that cinema might you know help them you know bend time laugh at the pain yeah. um, and, and for Kristen to keep her father alive forever at least you know through the lens you know through, through this film you know mm-hmm. um, what do you think about such an unusual um, documentary such as uh, Dick Johnson is dead you know what, what a premise yeah the, the conceit of the film itself is amazing right yeah. uh, and I think the way that it starts with the title sequence and just the very short explanation that they give in the beginning uh, yeah it, it kind of like sets a very interesting tone um, that uh, belies how deep this film actually is in terms of its exploration of mortality, um, you know, and, and and kind of like anticipating grief, which is is such a rarely explored thing. Yeah. Um, you know, but like they do it with so much grace and with so much humor and with so much, like there are moments in time where it's just so absurd and so funny, you know, yeah. that you often forget um, what, the film is actually supposed to be about, you know. Mm-hmm. But of course, we always get drawn back into that um, with with much more kind of like serious real life moments uh, in between everything. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I when I first read what it was about, I didn't mm-hmm. think I would enjoy it as much as I did. Yeah. Um, just because like the highs are really high, the lows are pretty low, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and there is so much to kind of grapple with. Um, and the way that it's kind of packaged at you is heartwarming and uplifting in the end, right? Despite yes, yeah. its subject matter uh, and despite the things that it discusses. And I think because of that, the film itself is a triumph of... of um, it is such a beautiful love letter to her father mm. um, that... You know, I, I mean, like, I, I, I didn't know whether to laugh or to cry, right? At the end of the, at the end of the whole thing, right? Because mm-hmm. she successfully portrays her father and all his greatness, right? As she remembers it and as, as, as she's lived it, you know, in, in this beautiful little package of a film. Yeah. Um. And and yeah, I loved it. It really, it really took me by surprise. Uh. And and, you know, I, I. I left watching the film like feeling, you know, better about life and better about like confronting, you know, the my own mortality and the mortality of my my loved ones. Yeah, of course, you know, um, it's it's oddly poignant, um, and sneakily provocative mm, movie, you know. Yeah. You know, some of some of the death scenes that she stages for her father are clearly fantastical, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, he, he trips down the stairs, an air conditioner falls on his head while yeah. walking on the street, uh, a construction mishap involving a, a plank, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, she trips on a curb, you know. There, there's blood and twisted limbs and a cringing tide of a body hitting concrete, you know. And, and somehow through all of this, like you know. 
gallows humor. There, there is laughter. There yeah. is joy in in a father and daughter working together to to pull something this blackly comic off. You know? <laughs> um, it's it's insane. Uh, but at the same time, also the dog does clearly show. You know that. The elderly Johnson is clearly deteriorating like, yeah. his dementia. You know, yeah. um, th- these things might happen in the real world. They're, they're jokes, sure, you know, but he's already kind of begun to make dangerous errors, right? You know, like for example, he's been uh, he he drove through a construction site, you know, mm-hmm. making his way home on on four flat tires, that that kind of thing. Um, it's no mistake that the stage deaths here are all freak accidents. You know, it's like silent comedy whimsies and gags that tilt away from morbidness and violence towards cartoonish hilarity. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, like watching them reset and restage these accidents, <laughs> it's, it's like watching, you know, like a supercut of, you know, like a roadrunner, you know, dropping anvils <laughs> and, and things like that. Uh, what, what a killer premise, uh, literally. You know? um, yeah, yeah. And it's also e- easy to imagine a version of this because when I first read the premise, like I thought it would mostly coast on the cleverness of it, you know? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. but it, it, it doesn't, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of real realism in here as well. There's a lot of poignancy, there's a lot of heartbreak. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's so beautiful and it's also so sad and also comforting in a way. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah. It, it's, it's disarming. It is the most interesting documentary I've seen this year. Easily, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, the, the, the premise is clever. It's unusual. It, will bait you into that and then it will deliver all sorts of views um and all sorts of thoughts you know mm-hmm. and i mean like how how can you not recommend something like that right like um with just again right where we are today in the world right with what's what's going on and how many lives have kind of been lost uh you know just like for a father and daughter to to write a love letter to each other at the very end of his days right is just um, it's beautiful to think about, uh, but the way in which they go about it is beautiful to watch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Dick Johnson is that. I think it, it suggests that learning to confront reminders of death, you know, yeah. and to even conjure them for yourself uh, and examine them closely, mm-hmm. it takes some of the sting out of death and it replaces it with love, you know. Yeah. Um, to to love someone is to accept that one day death will be. The thing that parts both of you, yeah. Uh, the, the the pain of knowing that is is built into the act of loving, uh, and the way that Kristen Johnson does her loving is by the only thing that she knows how to do, you know, documentary yeah. filmmaking. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. um, this is a funny film about death and a wrenching film about life. Yeah, it, you know, you, you know what I mean. It's yeah, it's kind a of a very very accurate way of putting it. Mm-hmm. It's it's celebratory. It's also an allergy, you know. It's allegaic. It's, yeah. uh, it's. I, I mean, it's definitely a serious documentary, but it has light, surrealistic f- flourishes yeah. that shine <laughs> and veer into exuberant goofiness. Sometimes, you know. Yeah. Uh, it has it has one hell of a false ending uh, that I'm not gonna give away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, it it's so sad, but also touching and funny. Um, the Johnsons are actually, I mean. As sad as the situation is, they are very fortunate that they have this type of father and daughter relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, where yeah. they can make something like this, and and maybe one day when Nick Johnson finally does pass away, you know, this will be the one thing that she can watch and and bring back good memories of him, not bad memories of his yeah. death, but good good memories of his life. Mm-hmm. You know, and how and how his father is, you know, has such a great sense of humor and how he approached uh, his his impending peril. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like because he agrees, knowing where he's going to go, right? Like, how he's going to go out. 
Uh, yeah. You know, and then like despite the fact that throughout the film and you know and the filming process itself as they're documenting it, uh, you can see that deterioration. Like they don't shy away from capturing that or even talking mm-hmm. about it, right? But he's still in his moments of of um of lucidity, mm-hmm. right? Continues to be amazing, uh, and, and and humorous and funny and loving and kind. You know, it, it such, really such, such a good guy, yeah. Yeah, it's so it's so amazing. Like it, it yeah. almost feels like it's not it it, it it's fiction, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's part of his character, and then you realize that that's nothing to kind of do with it because like you you see it when he's kind of like not there, right? Like there's a vacant look in his eyes and all that. They're kind of losing him, and and mm-hmm. Kristen has to walk off of camera just to compose herself. Um, you know, and and but those moments of lucidity, right, feel so real and so true that it feels unreal. You you get what I mean? Like there's a purity yeah. to his character in late stage dementia that comes true. You know, um, in in the slightly more quiet and and real moments of the film itself, and that's just crazy to me. Um, yeah. how she managed to capture that, right? Yeah, I mean the way that she captures Dick, especially especially you know her father is. Yeah. Uh, so kind and loving, you know, like when he is lucid, you know, he, his eyes sparkle. Mm. Um, he takes everything thrown at him with good humor, you know, <laughs> yeah. things that would insult me, actually, to be honest, or make me uncomfortable. He takes it with, uh, with a pinch of salt. He's so full of life, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, even with a body that is visibly breaking down, he's mm-hmm. so full of life, you know. Every time a, a stuntman falls down or takes a hit for him, you know, he he yells as though he's he's taking the hit for himself, you know. Yeah. He has such a bright laughter that, that punctuates every apparent death, you know. Yeah. Um, shots of him falling asleep on set or joking about <laughs> the, the excessive amount of chocolate cake that may or may not have led to his heart attack you know, a few yeah. decades ago. Uh, it ensures the audience would, would have uh, an idea of his personality and love him at least a fraction of as much that Kristen clearly does. Uh. Yeah. yeah. Um, on the simplest level, Dick Johnson is dead is clearly a tribute to a father, but it's also a very, very public reckoning with grief, mm. uh, and a way you know, uh, and and a way for her to spend more time with her father while she still has the chance, you know. Yeah, yeah. Watching the two of them play with death may not ultimately make it easier to cope with death, mm-hmm. but the scenes where they pretend he's dead feel full of life. They are exaggerated and colorful. Yeah. Um, especially when Dick goes to heaven. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, has a few wishes granted, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's so palpable and full of love, you know? Uh, yeah, it's it's such a great um, tribute to a, a, a really kind man and, and shows how skilled of a storyteller Kristen is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an extraordinary work because, you know, how of how easily Kristen, the, the documentarian, slips between tones without coming off as saccharine yeah. or untruthful. Mm-hmm. Um, the film's focal point is obviously very difficult for her personally. I mean, I can only imagine, right? Yeah. But uh, her voice never breaks the narration. That's a feat in of itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the heartbreak the film invokes is bearable because the documentation of it is so earnest. You know, it's a it's a great reminder to cherish your loved ones while you're while they're still living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Take that extra photo. Take a video. Hang on to something. Yeah, yeah. You know, tell 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 your loved ones that you love them, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. So I mean, Dick Johnson is dead. Uh, <clears throat> just for anyone who has thought about. You know, dying and your 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 mortal life and your loved one's mortal life. I think like it's an important film to watch, right? It's universal. Yeah. Um, the kind of like levity that it, it brings and it confronts is is uh, probably one of the the best I've seen. 
right? Like um, in my lifetime, at least, you know. Uh, yeah, hundred percent agree, and, and definitely, you know, one of the best nonfiction of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, highly recommend. Highly recommend, man. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, and, and that caps it off for three of the films that we were able to talk about. Um, there are a lot of, you know, obviously a lot of other great films out there this yep. year. Um, and and maybe in in January we'll 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 wrap up with like some honorable mentions or, or whatnot, you know. Yeah. Uh, and and again, there's some things that I said just couldn't watch because it's just you know some things that like only I can watch because I have access to it because mm-hmm. I'm a critic and things yeah. like that. You know, or other things that are more recent, like Mank, you know, David Fincher's um, oh, yeah. film and, and mm-hmm. things like that. Really good. Um, I haven't really decided what's my number one of the year yet. I have yeah. a feeling it's Nomadland. Okay, okay. But so still sure holding yet. strong. All right, all right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm mean, looking, again, looking forward to seeing what, what both your lists are going to be like. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, catching up on all of those. And maybe for some, again, like for Nomadland and Mank and stuff like that, I think we might just dedicate an episode to talking about those. Definitely, um, yeah. You know, um, like seeing already the reviews that are coming out. I'm pretty mm. interested. I'm, I'm sure we have quite a bit to discuss. Yeah, uh, for my top 50 TV, I have to tell you, like, my 40 to 50 has been reshuffled, like, an insane amount oh, of times. I can only imagine. Um, Is there, will there be any late additions to that list? Hmm, late additions. Uh, it doesn't look like the schedule for the rest of the year is very, yeah, it doesn't look that, like, there's much. Um, late editions. I think relatively late. Small X is a late edition. Okay. Okay. Um, the Mandalorian crept into the the very bottom of the list, and that's quite a late edition as well. You know, yeah. Being a November December show. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I, and of course, we'll get into that. Uh, for the uh, next genre equality. Yes. You know. Uh, let's talk about what's coming up. Uh. In two weeks' time for, mm-hmm. for genre equality, we probably have our biggest show for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many big topics to talk about. Uh, there is a lot of Pedro Pascal. Uh, <laughs> let, me, let me tell you that. Yeah. Uh, we have Pedro Pascal in a Pascal mask and Pedro Pascal uh, playing an 80s billionaire in The Mandalorian and yep. Wonder Woman 84 where Pedro Pascal plays the main villain. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have to say... Uh, both are great. I really enjoyed The Mandalorian. Still enjoy Mandalorian, of course. Yep, you haven't seen yep. it, Charlie. Wonder yep. Woman 1984. I have a lot of issues with it. Uh-huh. It's it it very long. It's so many problems narratively. Yeah. I, and I'm going to tell you, like, kind of a spoiler alert, like, subjectively, I'm probably only going to give it, like, a, a 6 or a 7 out of 10. Okay. Uh, so, okay. No, objectively, I'm going to give it a 6 or 7. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to tell you, subjectively, this is not an official rating, subjectively, I fucking loved it, you know. It's yeah. like a 10 out of 10 for me, like, personal. It's yeah. all the right notes, you know. Oh, that's, I mean, that's totally fine. I think, what, we've been doing this for two-ish, two and a half years now, right? Like, yeah. there are plenty of times where we're just like, yeah, it's like a five or a six, but I fucking love it, you know. And yeah. I think Hardy in particular, um, like, had a lot of those moments. Mm. Um, you know, so I mean, I totally understand, and I mean, I haven't watched it yet. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm dying to watch it, and just kind of see what it's all about. Um, but when you watch it, you'll see a lot of the flaws, la, and there's a lot mm-hmm. to talk about. But I just like the tone so much. It's, yeah, you know, it, it reminds me of Richard Donner's Superman. You know, back, oh, back in the wow. day. Oh yeah. wow! Really? Okay, yeah. okay, okay. That that gets me excited. That gets me excited. I, I will give it a fair shot, yeah. right? I, I think. Um, Probably one of the big, uh, the one of the blockbusters that I've looked forward to for the majority of the year. So mm-hmm. we'll see, how, we'll see how that goes, and we'll, we'll talk about it. Yeah, uh, we'll also be reviewing. Of course, we mentioned a uh, Pixar's Soul mm-hmm. uh, about a jazz pianist who goes to the afterlife. Um, 
everything you know Pixar does is is a winner. Um, yeah. And, and and Soul looks to be like like the next Coco. Uh, I guess that the Black Coco, for example. <laughs> um, there's also the hand drawn, hand drawn. I mean, I mean that masterpiece Wolfwalkers. Yeah. Coming out of Ireland, um, production studio. What's it called? Cartoon Saloon. Mm-hmm. Um, it is amazing. It's just a marvel to look at. Probably, I I think my favorite animated film of the year. Wow. Uh, okay. We'll be reviewing also Big Mouth. Uh, season four is just out. Still mm-hmm. obscene, <laughs> uh, but still still insightful. Uh, Hilda is back after two years. Yes. You know, it's been a long time. Very excited. Uh, we'll be talking about George. Well, at least I will be talking about George Clooney's new movie, The Midnight Sky. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, you know, the new Walking Dead spinoff. Uh, there's a Taiwanese movie called Detention. There's a new superhero movie called uh, Arch Enemy, starring Joe Mangiello. Uh, oh. Alice in Borderland is here. Mm-hmm. Monster Hunter. Uh, from <laughs> gosh. Oh my really. god. Yeah, we'll but... talk about the the Chinese controversy, Monster <laughs> Hunter, um, because I think that's more interesting to talk about than the actual film itself, which is yeah, yeah, flat out terrible. And and yeah. I mean, uh, honestly, all all the all the fanboys from the gaming side, right? Like Monster Hunter game fans, yeah. are just like, what have you done with this franchise? So yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll talk more about that for sure. Yeah, Paul W. S. Anderson, uh, who also made uh, Mortal Kombat and Mortal yeah. Kombat Annihilation and the Resident Evil movies, clearly the king of shitty video game adaptations. Yeah. He has one upped himself here by making an even shittier one called Monster Hunter. We'll talk about that. <sighs> uh yeah, uh the, the, those are our big on screen ones. I'll be talking about a, a new novel by Susanna Clark, who comes mm-hmm. back after 17 years uh for a new novel, Piranesi. She Damn. wrote uh Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, uh, yeah. my my favorite fantasy novel of all time. She has been sick with, uh, I think, Lyme disease, you yeah. know, you know cro- chronic fatigueness. So she's mm-hmm. been bedridden for over a decade, you know. Yeah. Uh, but she's been finding time here and there. Whenever she has strength for over an hour or two a day, she she wrote this book, and this book has been sixteen years in the making. I'm gonna tell you, it's worth it. Uh, that's yeah, cool. and that's yeah. what we'll be talking about on the upcoming genre equality. Excited! It's one of our biggest shows. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. It's 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 great to be going into the new year with uh, so many good things. Yeah. Uh, by the way, the expense is back. Oh, yeah. So, uh. I don't. I don't know if we should be talking about this right now. I guess we have a bit of time. So yeah. apparently, it's not cancelled. No, no um, they were given they, season five and six to wrap it up. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's not but technically it, a cancellation. Yeah. So uh, uh, apparently, because like uh, one of the oh, I can't remember if it was the writer, or the showrunner, who was saying that oh, you know, we might have something more after that. I was like, really. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I uh, love the expanse. Uh, for those of you who have followed us for a while, you know that's one of our favorite sci-fi shows of recent times. Yeah. Um, yeah, really interesting. I mean, okay, this is going to be the home stretch, right? And mm. so many of our favorite big franchises, fantasy, sci-fi, or otherwise, have fallen flat in the home stretch. So I'm having, I've got my fingers crossed um, that it doesn't ha- like Game of Thrones doesn't happen to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping the showrunners know what they are kind of like up against and what the what the, the bar is very low guys don't fuck up uh yeah that's all that's my wishes for the expanse over the next two seasons yeah you know but at the same time this year has given us you know great finales like the good place and that's, true. That's and, true. and things yeah. like that uh hopefully the expense will continue in more in that direction now of course you know mm-hmm. um, and I have a feeling, I mean, I don't have any news or anything. I have a feeling it's going to go down the Firefly route and, and actually culminate with a feature film, la, which would wrap Ooh. up uh, you know, the thing. La. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would I would love to see that. Um, yeah. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. There's still An actual big screen movie. It's a possibility. Um, and Amazon does have a lot of money. But but the, the thing is that the expense 
fan base is not big enough to justify this. Mm, I yeah. know they're not constantly. I know they're not con- calling it a cancellation, but essentially it is a cancellation. Yeah, of, right. Yeah. Exactly. I I don't know. Um. Do you how many think... times can be saved, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Right. Like it's it's a few times too many. Right. Like it's a it's like a real life duos X. Yeah. Um. Do you think that if they made a full feature film for the Expanse, right, would it have the same effect as uh, Serenity did for Firefly? Mm, I don't know. Um, because there are a fair number of fans who, who caught who Serenity, Serenity. Yeah. and they're just like, what is this? I want more of this. What, what is this, right? Serenity fairly uh, mm. has less backstory to cover, so it also functioned as another pilot. Oh, you know? Okay. Yeah. Serenity, the film, can be watched standalone. Yeah. The expense, the film, I have a feeling cannot because there's too much history and backstory mm, already. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Like, Joss could sum up one season's worth of story in, in passing bits of dialogue. Yeah. You, can, you cannot sum up six seasons worth of story in passing no, bits of dialogue. No. Not, not yeah. in the least bit. There's just way too much dialogue to be covered. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, anyways, you know, we'll, we'll get into... Um, at their expense in January, which is a very bare month. We only have a couple of titles to cover, which is uh, expense and another um, spatial Star Trek Discovery. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's a couple of months from now. Uh, we'll figure out our January schedule later on like, with Behold and Jordan mm-hmm. 40. We mm-hmm. haven't thought about that yet. Still, you know, uh, blundering through the end of the year and making all my end of year lists and yep. stuff like that. Yeah. Once I get that sorted, then I'll think about January. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll take it as it comes. Yeah, yeah. Um. Anyways, uh, till next time. This has been Hitzer. I'm Isa. Uh, for more genre talk, tune in, in two weeks for genre quality. Goodbye, guys. Ciao.